Hello, Internet. This is Chase Wassenaar, a.k.a. the Red Shirt King, and welcome to another very special edition of the Guest Alliance Unicorn Challenge podcast. That was a series. I, I don't really know how else to start than to say that. You know, this was a series that when Walter and I were talking about it earlier this week, I said this was the test to see if Western organizations could do some of what Korean organizations have been so good at over these past few years? And the answer apparently is no. Walter Fetchuk, uh, how are you doing, man? I'm, I'm doing pretty good. I, w- I was just sitting here waiting for you to introduce me, and you're going to introduce me with a question, I guess. Well, I mean, I, I'm going to ask you how you're doing eventually. I just I needed to get that <laughs> out of my system. Like, it's been pent up since I watched these series. You know, we had like an hour and a half break where we needed to eat food, shower, or whatever. And it's not like I can explain to my mom. I had, I had to wash the stink of uh, Western League of Legends off of me. That was a a god-awful game. It was a god-awful series. I mean, Game 3 uh, yeah, was... Yeah, series in general. ...was horrendous. Game 3 is, is ridiculously horrendous. But the, we're gonna the, go one by one, because we need to break every single one of these down. It's like a, it's like a crime scene. You know, you have to pick <laughs> every piece of evidence along the way, and yeah. then you find the handgun at the very end. You're like, oh, I guess we figured it out, you know? Mm-hmm. But here we go. Game 1. Fnatic really heavily prioritized the Rek'Sai and picks and bans. They went with the Kennen bot lane, despite the fact that it's clearly not a secret anymore. Do you think that this was the right composition and the right way to attack the Ku Tigers, or were they kind of playing into Ku's hand with the way they built? I, I don't understand why they banned out their own player. I don't understand why they banned out Yellowstar. Yeah. I get Gorilla has played Tom Kench and Shen, and that's fine, ban the Tom Kench, but... I guess the thought process behind here was they knew they wanted Rek'Sai, and they didn't want to risk giving Shen or Tom Kench to Gorilla. I don't agree with that. If you, you've practiced having a third jungler, and you just handicapped your support player tremendously. The second that Ku picked Alistar, I sat back in my chair and went, what the heck is Yellowstar going to play? Is he gonna pl- are we going to see Janna? <laughs> and then all of a sudden this Nautilus comes out of left field, which kind of fits with what they've been looking for, but there's a reason nobody plays Nautilus support anymore. It's just not very strong anymore. It, it's not it's not good. It doesn't seem to have any of the utility that all these other kind of champions used to bring. If you want a hook, then you pick Thresh. If you want the disengage, Alistar does it better. I don't know what Nautilus is doing for that composition that other supports couldn't have done. And I agree with you. You're on blue side. Like, if you're going to give up the, the Rex side, okay, you, you still get Tom Kench in that situation. <clears throat> As we saw in Game 2, Ku had no problem with that trade, and we know that Yellowstar can play it. So, I don't, I don't understand what they were so afraid of. I, don't, I definitely don't understand the Shen, because Gorilla's Alistar is famous. His Shen was pretty good. That just seems like a weird level of priority yeah, but, there. Yeah, but I think Ku knows how, much, like how good Yellowstar is at Shen and how much it feeds into the kind of fanatic play style that they would have taken Shen. Yeah, but are you more afraid of the Shen than you are of the Alistar? I don't think you're afraid of either. That's why I don't understand the ban. <laughs> That's kind of my point. I mean, I, I guess here's the theory, right? You're afraid of being out-globalized, right? They, you know, you have the global teleport on the Shen. Now they have this third teleport into the mix, and so much of this game was dictated by picking up fights. But the thing is, a lot of these fights, yeah, the teleports came into play, but they were messy regardless, especially in the early game. We saw so mm-hmm. many... Four for three, four for three, uh, three for zero on the in the mid game with a a triple kill for Kuro, and then things start getting a little bit out of control. But I don't think the Shen alone was going to prevent any of that from happening. If anything, I think it just would have made Fnatic 
play more towards their bot lane, which is something they finally started doing in game two, but maybe could have been more effective here than, than what they ended up doing, which was trusting Huni to play consistently and have Rainover be a guy that was making a big impact. Can, can you talk a bit of just about how Rainover affected the entire pace of this game with some of the calls that he was making and some of the plays he was attempting on some of those so drives? This, this was, I, I've talked about there's the three kinds of fanatic. There's the super aggro, like crazy kind of off the rails fanatic we saw in spring. Uh, there's the very cool, calm, collected, calculated fanatic that basically ran roughshod throughout the entire the summer regular season. And then there's that ego egotistical fanatic yeah we got egotistical fanatic in this first game uh they really didn't care about objective control they really just wanted to fight that was all they wanted to do and that really reminds you of, of spring but also part of this we think we're better than them you know we're the favorites we're gonna you know we're gonna style on these guys and i think it was just kind of disrespectful of how they were playing into coup they need to realize that coup had a very very strong late scaling composition that had a lot of aoe damage that would team fight very successfully uh rainover getting the kills i know that they mentioned that on the broadcast it wasn't great the only thing i think he could have done is that instead maybe add a little bit more damage and try and play more of a, a hybrid kind of bruiser as opposed to just a flat-out tank because you have the hecarim that's do that's doing that kind of bruiser build where he's rushing the the frozen heart against the riven and then going into triforce and then going into more tank items mm. i just think kind of at the end of the day you're playing with the utility 80 carry you don't have enough damage what is the harm in getting a titanic hydra or even a ravenous hydra or a blade of the ruin kink when you get four kills in your very first team fight Beyond that, I think he did a good job in the very first like ten minutes of the game trying to track Hojin and and exploiting the fact that that Zach is not a very strong early game jungler, but you'll see over the entire course of the series that he kept making some mistakes that just made no sense. He had the Burrow play that almost looked exactly like what Amazing did yesterday, where he's they look like they're going for a tower dive and then the rest of his team backs off and he still dives in. There were just multiple moments where he was caught out under towers, and, and Huni also caught out doing things that, while the rest of the team was backing off, they thought that they could engage into. Yeah, it was a mess. And I, again, you know, when we bring up those kinds of mistakes, it's really hard to identify how much is shot calling and how much of it is a player making a mental error. I'm a little bit more likely to lean on the side of mental error, just because A, the guy has the nickname Game Over in Korea which I think every European fan suddenly understood by the end of this series. And two, the shot caller's yellow star. We've seen him make incredible shot calls time and time and time again. But Bivens done some shot calling. We know he's very good at it. I refuse to believe that anyone in Fnatic other than Rainover thought that that dive was going to work. It was weird. There were other calls that were made that weren't great calls, but that was one player thinking oh, this is my moment. I have all these kills. I've been doing so well. I can do this. And he couldn't. Mm -hmm. And honestly... Let me make a play. It was one of those games where I kind of feel Koo baited Fnatic into taking this all-fight comp. You know, they had the Callista, the Riven, the Zac, the Kassadin. These are all champions that don't have a lot of wave clearing themselves either. They're also going for Engage. They're also going for, you know, taking these fights and having these big moments. But they did it while taking dragons and while getting those scaling objectives that were going to turn this game as they got later and later in. How was Ku able to take a very similar style of composition and play it so much more effectively? They, they just weathered the early game storm. 
they just allowed Fnatic to kind of push them around the map, and they allowed their Zac and their Kassadin to get farmed and get their items and get stacked up. And then in these team fights, they just unleashed like this crazy amount of crowd control that they had from from the Alistar and the Zac and the Riven, and just allowed Callista and Kassadin to AOE Fnatic down to the ground. We've no, we saw that the cannon can be absolutely exploded. Just uh, even in lane, when you get an Alistar and a Callista at like level four or five, when they just have that burst from the rend, it just explodes Kennen's health bar. And this is where all of a sudden you really saw the, the weakness of the pick mm-hmm. is that Kennen wants to go into the middle of a team fight and he wants to alt. Playing him as an 80 carry, you don't get a Zonius. Or it's not, you know, it's not even like your first of three or four items. Mm-hmm. You know, you're trying to get the Runons, you're trying to get the Blade of the Rune King, mm-hmm. which is fine. I didn't think his build was terrible, but just the champion in and of itself is very weak and just just gets the crap blown out of it when you try and go into a team fight and he can be focused out by all that crowd control. Uh, if this was any other team other than Ku and it wasn't Kuro, I would have thought that Ku was trying to build a Yasuo composition. <laughs> Like, this would have been a very good Yasuo composition, Mm -hmm. uh, in all honesty, but I think Kuro impressed me in this series and his ability to actually play some other champions besides Victor. Yeah, no, he definitely developed, and we're going to get a little bit more on him in Game 2 specifically, because I thought that was a game in which he absolutely shined. It was weird, you know, you watch this early game, right, and Fnatic is ahead by over almost 5,000 gold. It was 26.8 to 21.9 in gold at the 15-minute mark. And then you have the fight in the bot lane where they give Kuro a triple kill, and that was the moment where I said, "Uh uh-oh. I literally, I have it in my notes. It says, "Uh uh-oh, just right next to, I never take these kinds of notes. It's right next to the stupidly on the rain over dive at the 29-minute mark when he goes to the top tower. It's just one of those things where you can't let a Kassadin get those kills. He immediately went back, got the Rod of Ages, got to a point where he was going to be able to make a lot of these better trades, and the game just never went the same way again. There were some kills for Huni. He had some pretty decent plays here uh, for a bit, but once Ku got that Baron in the late game, this composition had nothing left. And because they hadn't focused on objectives, because they were so willing to engage in these fights that Ku baited them into making... Ku was able to take this game one. And by the way, uh, I know that people made a point of this on Twitter and on the cast. Yes, Sterics Engage on Kennen happened to be a pretty good item in that particular time period. The fact that that item works at that point in time just says so much about how much Fnatic it screwed up. You should not be getting value off of that item as an AD carry. That's not how that item is supposed to I, work. I, but I think it actually makes tremendous amount of sense on Kennen. It makes a ridiculous amount of sense to get that item on a champion that's going to be in the middle of the fight and taking a ton of damage. On, on a Kennen that's that far behind, sure, but usually your goal would be to not have the Kennen deleted that quickly. I mm, think that's true. the ultimate concession of, we have no way of protecting him. We have no way of keeping him safe. We have no way, whatever. Might as well get the damage boost that comes from being under a certain percentage of health and everything that comes with it. I get why they did it. It made sense. It was a good item for that time period. To me, it was just another symptom of everything that went wrong. And, and game two was when we realized that Fnatic was just outclassed. And it starts with... Smeb is really good. <laughs> well, talk Smeb about... is really, really good. Talk about Smeb then. What, what impressed you about this guy so much in this game? I, 
I, I had been I had been propping up Huni, and I will I will still stand behind. I think he is a very good top laner. He's probably one of the best in the world. I will still stand by that. He needs to work on his consistency. He needs to work on his his mentality, and I think mentality is a huge issue for all non Korean teams mm-hmm. in terms of their their infrastructure and their coaching staffs. And Smeb has gone against someday. He's gone against Huni. He's gone against Zion Spartan. He's kind of been throughout the course of the tournament, kind of been the underdog, kind of been talked down about by a, a majority of people, may, maybe fewer in this series, maybe fewer against Tooney, because uh, there are smarter people than I, you know, claiming that <laughs> Tilt gets to him way too much. Fine. But he has been the unsung hero for this team that doesn't really have a phenomenal mid lane carry, and their, their AD carry can be inconsistent when not playing, you know, Ash. So that comes down to there's a lot of pressure on him to win his lane. There's a lot of pressure on him to do damage and be effective and efficient in team fights. And even when he was getting absolutely destroyed in the first 10 minutes of games against Someday, he still came back and made sure that he was making an impact, you know, 15 minutes into the game. He made sure he was able to get back into laning phase. He did the same thing in every single one of these games today, either by winning his lane outright, or if Huni was able to get a little bit of an advantage, making sure that he was doing his job of absorbing damage, absorbing cooldowns, or getting into the squishies of Fnatic and blowing them up. He is very, very good, and I cannot wait to see what him and Maran do against each other next week. Well, it was so interesting, right, to see him pick the Fiora and basically beg Hoonies, like, come at me. Let's have a skill matchup. You think you're going to be one of the best top laners in the world. You've been talking all this stuff in interviews about how you think you're going to be the best. Play the skill matchup. Play the Riven into me, and let's see who's better. And the answer was Smith. And the answer was met by a pretty large margin in this particular game. I yes. didn't, there was never a moment in this where I said, oh, Hooney's going to make a play, turn this around, do what needs to be done to put Smeb in a tough position. It was never going to happen. And Rainover was not helping. Rainover got caught out a couple times early, got caught out a few times late, uh, and basically in the mid, basically just throughout Rainover, just getting caught out. But mm-hmm. the other thing I want to talk about along with the Smeb, who did what I was kind of expecting him to do when we talked yesterday, that was the matchup I was most concerned about for right. Fnatic. Little did I know just how bad it was going to be. But still, yeah. Kuro, his Vigar got so much better than what we saw from last week. Mm-hmm. He just, he'd figured out the event horizons. He was getting this damage and this burst. What does it tell you just the level of skill he was able to add to this champion and just the damage and ability he was able to display compared to what we saw last week and what that says about Ku as a team and as a management going forward? Uh, the problem is that Fnatic kind of telegraphed what their composition was trying to do. And they wanted a team fight. They wanted to fight in space. Now, a lot of people were saying at the beginning, oh, the Vagar is great, you event Horizon the Skarnar so we can't run at you and ult you. They didn't pick the Skarnar to be the engage tool here. The way I'm looking at it, Fnatic did not play this composition very well because this should have been a very kitey move back, make Ku come into different zones of control and fight against you. Only problem was that Ku was fight- playing a very, very similar composition with the Tom Kench and the Vigar and the Fiora. Again, a, no, we don't want to direct engage onto you, come fight us, come fight us, come fight us. 
And you would get this moment where Hojin would all of a sudden say, I'm going to force them to come in and fight to us because I'm Zack and they can't kill me instantly. Mm-hmm. And would jump into the Azir and would force Fabivan to either alt him back or would force Huni and Skarnar and Yellowstar to engage. And the second you pulled away that front line from that back line, Smeb would go to town on the Ash and the Azir. Mm-hmm. Because Ash and Azir are, are, are wasting their cooldowns on either trying to get the trying to help their, their frontliners engage onto the back line or, you know, keeping the Zack away from them. Uh, there was one moment around Baron Pit where, I don't know, but I think Smeb parried the Azir ultimate. Because the Azir ultimate went past him. And it clearly, it very clearly went over the top of him. But he, he had either just parried a slow, he had done something where he was that spell immune for that like half a second. Mm-hmm. And you could tell that Forbidden was trying to get him away from himself and, and Reckless. And Smeb didn't go anywhere and Smeb just crushed them. Yeah. Like 2v1, just absolutely crushed them because the, the Emperor's Divide didn't hit him. So I think that this was... Fnatic did not play their composition very well. They played right into Ku's hands of what they wanted to do. They allowed a power pick in Tom Kench to go through. Mm-hmm. And they weren't playing smart. And at this point, I want to make a, a very strong point of this. Reckless had one kill. Reckless, who a lot of people argue is you know the best AD carry in the West, had one kill. I understand he's playing Ash and he's playing Kennet. Their utility, fine. He has, at this point, he has 15 assists. But he has 12 deaths, 15 assists, and one kill. Which is what makes Game 3, to me, so egregious in terms of their pick ban. Why the hell do you keep him on another utility 80 carry? And just for just for giggles, let's also take Fabivin, who's been dealing the most damage and be, has been our best player, and put him onto a utility mid laner. And let's not give him teleport. Let's go ignite instead against the Lulu. Fnatic left their brains at home. They did not show up for this series at all. And this is the difference between korean league of legends and everyone else in the rest of the world in terms of the infrastructure a korean team never would have let that happen they would not have stayed with the same style of composition for a third loss they wouldn't do it never they're always making some sort of change and to me Fnatic changed away from having two damage threats and in fabivan playing azir and leblanc and huni playing the hecarim and the and the riven to let's just make it all about huni huni is the only one who's going to deal any damage in this game and they lost it was really weird and i want to go back to game two just a little bit first of course i I do want to say i thought kuro's event horizons were much more on point i thought his w's were much more on point I thought the, just the sheer way he was able to scale up and was able to organize that, I, I think he deserves some credit as well. I do agree with you. This was Smeb. Oh, absolutely. This absolutely. Was, this was the Smeb hour featuring Kuro, but Kuro played great in this game. And I think it is something about what do Korean teams do when they have a week and they need to make adjustments? Well, apparently they pull out Zach out of nowhere, which I don't think any of us could have possibly predicted that was the champ. <laughs> and they get that much better on the champs that they're already playing. And honestly, in Game 2 especially, but in Game 2 and Game 3, I felt like you were watching Fnatic play scared. Why did they pick the Ash in Game 2? It wasn't because they wanted some amazing utility disengage AD carry. No, what they wanted was to make sure Prey didn't play Ash. And Prey says, cool, I have Callista now. And honestly, if I'm Fnatic, I would much rather have had things go the other way. I'd rather Reckless be the aggressor and play to the playstyle that's gotten us here in the first place. 
Right? You didn't get here because Reckless played Ash. You got here because Reckless is a pretty good lane bully. He's very good at it. And yes, Prey <laughs> is good at stopping lane bullies, but let that be the fight. And if you're better at being a lane bully than he is at stopping it, you win. If you play his game, you lose every time because he's good at it. Yes. And he's done it all the yes. time. It yep. was really, really dumb. And the Skarner was dumb. I, I understand what it was supposed to do in theory, but we have yet to see Skarner work at this tournament. Scar Skarner made no sense. It didn't... It, it, zero sense. It was really, really silly. And then you get to game three. Once again, we're going to ban out Yellowstar, because of course we are. We're going to first pick the Rek'Sai, even though there is absolutely nothing from game one that says that this is a pick that they need to be prioritizing. The Rek'Sai did not help them in game one. That was not mm -hmm. the reason they came close. The Acid had some kills early, but really that was just any sort of jungler that could engage in a fight could have done that. You know who could have done that? Jarvan could have done that. Jarvan mm -hmm. is a pick that we've already seen come out. Then you don't have to prioritize the Rek'Sai, but because you do, you give Lulu to Kuro. Kuro's really good at Lulu. You know how I know this? Because they came up with the Juggermaw. This is the team that invented using Lulu to make your carries really, really good. Yep. What is your plan here? And, you know, I got an argument with someone on Twitter who I, I will not name for the sake of that person who was saying something like, oh, but it's the same kind of composition where, you know, there's only one guy who really has a ton of damage. Well, first of all, that's not really true. Ash does more damage than Sivir on a pretty consistent basis. But, but second of all, Ku plays that kind of game. When Ku picks that kind of draft, you say, oh, look. This is a coup team composition. They've got the Lulu, they've got the Alistar, they've got the Ash, they've got so many ways to pick their fights and make sure they survive all these fights. They have the Lease in the Stardom if they absolutely have to, and you've got the Hecarim to make sure that you throw the Riven off their game. They're going to focus the Riven hard because they know that's the only damage threat that can stop them, and they're going to just win off of that. You look at Fnatic picking the same comp, and you say, Fnatic, do you remember how you got here? Like, did you forget your keys somewhere along the way. I mean, it, it's it's like you said, they just left their brand at home and they decided mm -hmm. to become a team that they weren't. And they're not good at being that team. No. I the the one thing that very that confuses me greatly was why they didn't go Callista. And I'm just double checking to make sure that he played Callista. And he was six and zero on the champion in the summer. Yeah, no, he's a really good Callista player. He's actually like a decent Callista player. That's why I don't understand. Like it's sitting there on the board for you. At least goes if you really want to go Oriana, go some other sort of damage dealer, not Sivir. Yes, Sivir gets crits. She goes Infinity Edge. She goes Static Shiv. Blah, 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 blah. She doesn't deal a ton of damage. Like, mm -hmm. let's be honest. She doesn't deal a ton of damage. Mm -hmm. And you have the option to go Callista, which I'm very surprised that Ku didn't take it. But I guess you want to put Prey on his best champion, so go for it. Yeah, Prey's the best just, Ash in the world. They, they did not prepare for this series i'll put it that way they didn't prepare very well for week one and they didn't prepare very well for this series so that tells me that there are consistency issues at the organizational level at the preparation level with the analysts with the coaching staff whatever there are mentality and i'm talking in general about western teams now that all the western teams are out let's talk in a, a macro thought about western teams and we'll include china because i think they have some of the same issues can i just Co say one more thing before we go yeah, on go ahead because i go ahead. i want to hear you go on it because it's a beautiful absolutely one, i promise but i, I do want to say when you're taking oriana at the second rotation you're conceding the game i just uh, can we just throw that out there as a competitive rule going forward she is a super safe mid laner that you could pick at any time 
and it's not going to change anything because chances are you most of the time it's taken on red side because it can counter pretty much anything because it's super safe and you're always going to have the utility on the shockwave. If you're taking it in the second rotation, you're saying there wasn't a top laner or an AD carry that you really wanted to lock down. There was nothing you wanted to prepare for in that regard. You just wanted to throw out the Orianna because it says nothing about your comp and then you were going to figure it out from there. And you can't afford to do that when you've already picked no strengths into your composition. It was cowardly. I'm going to use the word cowardly. It was the exact opposite of what made Fnatic successful. And it played like a composition that had no confidence. You know, where was Rainover keeping Huni safe? People were making fun of Huni, like, oh my god, eight deaths, you know, with, you know, however many minutes. Okay, yeah, he died a lot. When was the team helping him? He's the only damage threat, so you'd assume that they'd be rotating around to make sure that he stays alive, to make sure he's getting the CS they need, to make sure he's getting the kills to get ahead. It was <laughs> practically non-existent. You know, well, okay, well, then you definitely got to make sure that you're rotating around and kind of going between these bot and mid-tier towers to kind of put pressure on these other objectives. No, they'd really try to play these 2v2, and they just let Ku make these dives, grab these towers, get the Kuro's kill on the yellow star early on. Like, that should have never happened. There's no reason to dive that early on when you've got all these teleports and whatever else should have <laughs> worked out. That was It was ridiculous just how ill-prepared they were for the most obvious play on the map. And then, okay, you're, you're going to forget all these things? At least get dragon control. Oh, wait, they don't do that either. They did nothing. They accomplished nothing. Their comp did nothing. And they just walked away with their tail between their legs because they got bopped in game two and they gave up. And that's the thing where if I'm a Western team, we're going to get into all the things that are wrong with non-Korean organizations in a second. But if, yeah. I'm, if I'm a Fnatic fan, I'm not, I'm mad. Like I'm legitimately upset. Not on, you know, Origin yesterday, that's a loss you take. That's a, it was a good loss. They played well in one game against the best team in the world. I get that. They did what they could. They played the composition that they know how to play. It just wasn't enough against that particular team. There's no shame in that. Fnatic gave up. That's what that pick and ban tells me. That's how the way they played in game three tells me. They knew they lost and they stopped trying. Which they kept playing not to lose instead of playing to win. And they never gave themselves an out. And that is infuriating to me. As someone who picked them, as someone who spent all this time talking about all the things I love about them, why should anyone have any faith in you if you don't have faith in yourself just because you had a couple bad games? It's ridiculous. And maybe it's a Western thing. Maybe it's a problem of all organizations outside Korea. But, I, I mean, that's a whole nother level. I, that that's that is honestly what it looks like. It looks like, I, it looks like the the Korean organizations have some secret sauce, have some special potion, whatever. They've got Mike, you know, Michael Jordan's secret stuff, whatever. They've got something that makes their organizational prowess. You can tell that the te the players are good. I I hundred percent. The players are talented, but watching the solo queue interactions between Western players and those players, watching the plays that Western players are able to pull off against Eastern players and Korean players in general, it's not a talent difference. There are very few players in Korea that are so far ahead of their Western counterparts, like a faker, mm -hmm. that you just say, "Oh well, he's the best." You know, he's the best player in the world. We are now at the point where saying that they have better players is not an excuse. Mm -hmm. So the next part of it is, okay, well, they have better coaching staff. They have better structure. And granted, we have some pretty good coaches. Delior has been a very, very efficient coach in terms of 
your against Europe and against you know the other teams that they played against this world championship. Their analysts have done an incredible job. Uh, Orion, the the one of the analysts that created that the automated ward so, uh, software, so mm-hmm. players could look at the tendencies of their opponents' warding. We're getting there, but at some point. We need to take all these things and we need to, to go to the next level. And maybe it's that, okay, we just need to bring a Korean general manager out here that's, you know, sits with a team and says, this is what we're going to do. This is, you need this many coaches. We're going to get these coaches that do this thing. You know, we need to start getting really nitpicky. We need to start getting really specific in terms of, so TSM is asking for all these positional coaches. They want a head coach. They want all this stuff. Great. How are you building this system? Are you going to go sign players and then you're going to hire a bunch of these coaches and then you're going to say, okay, throw all these pieces together and build a system? No. You need to build your system first. You need to say, this is what we want to accomplish. And you usually do that by hiring a general manager or a head coach in professional sports. So, so we'll take Rex Ryan and the Buffalo Bills. You hire him. He wants to run a 3-4 defense. Okay, 3-4 defense. When you're signing players or you're drafting players, you don't draft or sign a player that doesn't work in that defense. If you're signing a coach and the coach says, I want to be mid lane centric because I have Bjergsen and there's no way in heck that we're getting rid of one of the best players in the West. Fine. We're going to play around Bjergsen. Then when you go and sign players and you build your, your, your coaching staff and what you want your analysts to do, you tell your analysts, okay, what I want to focus on is mid lane. How do we get our mid lane out? Ahead. You know, how do we abuse enemy mid laners? Is it that we need to ward better? Is that we need to do this? What do teams that have very good mid laners like Faker, what do they do to make sure that their fa- that their mid laner gets extremely far ahead other than just let Faker solo his lane? Bengi sets up a ton of wards to protect him. Bengi is always hovering between race and between wolves, so he's always close to Faker. That's what your analysts are telling you. Great. Now, what kind of players do I need to put around him? Well, you need somebody that can secondary carry so that Bjergsen isn't the only person dealing all the damage on your team. Well, what lane do I want that person to, sec- to be my secondary carry? Well, probably your AD carry because they get crit, that adds some RNG into it, and they deal the most damage in late game. Great. I want to. I, I don't want a utility carry. I don't want someone like Reckless. I want someone that can play Jinx, but in a pinch can also play the Sivir. Wonderful. What do I need for my jungler? I need somebody who's very good in the mid lane. I need somebody who's a very good shot caller because I don't have any shot calling on my team with Bjergsen. Wonderful. And you go through all these steps and all of a sudden you have a competent roster of coaches and analysts and players. And then you build your your training schedule and your practice schedule and you say, I want to scrim this many hours a day. I want to spend this much time working on positional stuff. You add additional players to help complement those players. So you have... In Korea, they have, you know, rosters that used to run 15 players deep just so they could all practice against each other and have in-house scrims so they don't unveil secret strategies to potential opponents. There's so many things that Korean organizations do that need to be implemented in the West, and we are three years into Korean domination, basically. Mm -hmm. I'll I'll say since season three, where Mm -hmm. the Koreans have absolutely dominated the scene across the board. You need to look at it and not just pick their players and go sign their players. Now you need to actually adapt what they're doing behind the scenes. And I hope that this is what we're going to get started in the West. I thought it was very telling that TSM was asking for all these things. But then when I hear rumors that, oh, they're signing Dardock. Oh, they're signing this player. Oh, this play, you know, players could potentially go there. You should not be signing any players until you have a head coach. You get any positional coaches until you have a head coach. How about yes. that is a crazy theory. It's yes. one of those things where this is where 
more than anything else within the League of Legends scene, the fact that North America and Europe is driven in a lot of ways by either very young organizations or former players now at the head of organizations comes to fruition. This is where it hurts you because these are not guys that necessarily are great at business or are great at having these kind of sports backgrounds and understanding how these foundations work. In their mind, it's get the talent, get the coaches, get whatever it is, throw money at the problem and it will be fixed. And that's not how this works because the difference between Korea and North America is not the size of the training staff. CLG had more coaches than just about anybody in this tournament. They had more analysts working behind the scenes and doing all the stats and whatever else than just about anybody. Guess what? They got two wins in a group stage that had Flash Wolves in it. That, that <laughs> happened. They lost to Pain Gaming from Brazil. Do you think a Korean team is ever going to drop a game to Pain Gaming? I'll give you a spoiler alert. No, it doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen because, not because they have a large support staff. It doesn't happen because they're efficient with their support staff. It's all built around that one vision, as you pointed out. That whole idea of this is our team, this is what we're doing. And there are many ways to build a team. Koo is not SKT, is not KT. But all of them are have one unified goal for success. You know, we made fun of KT last week for panicking around someday and overreacting to that a bit. And that is fair. And it was a fair criticism. But also, it was KT understanding someday is our win condition. We built a team around him. He's our star player. We don't trust Nagne or Arrow in this situation. We need to get him going. We need to protect him. And that's why they made the decisions they did. At least there's a plan, and which is more than most Western teams can say when the chips are down. Mm -hmm. It's very easy when you're winning to ignore these problems. China has ignored them for years because they had such a sheer player base that it wasn't a problem, that they could throw numbers at the situation, and they were just better than other teams. That happened. And that's fine for China. And it's fine for North America and Europe for as long as they were able to do it. But note that the two teams that got to the semifinals were Fnatic and Origin. Origin, of course, learning from their time spent on Fnatic. Different managerial styles, but they had a style. It fell short because they only haven't had it for very long, but they had a style, and that's how they got as far as they did. To take the next step is going to have to make the whole scene better. You need more efficient scrim partners, as you mentioned. You need to be more efficient in your solo queue time. You need to get guys who are willing to go to the grindstone and work. Those Korean players play insane hours. They are practicing more than just about anybody else. And you have to match that pace if you're going to do it. Let's not forget, guys, the Korean exodus happened this summer. They lost a ton of talent, and they're still destroying us. And I, I, I say us is the proverbial everyone that's not Korea. And you know mm -hmm. what? Shout out to Korea, by the way. I don't mean to say this as a criticism, uh, you know, as some sort of, you know, I see a lot of people getting mad. It's like, oh, it's another, you know, LCK finals, essentially. You know, I hope the interest doesn't drop. I really do, because these are the two best teams in the tournament. I can't wait to watch them play. It's going to be a fun series. I think Koo is better than the last time they met. I still think SKT wins, but I think it could be a lot closer than people think or people thought. But at the same time, we need to emulate that because that's the only path to success. And it's not importing talent. It's not importing coaches necessarily. It's learning from what they do. Fnatic learned by getting one guy who was Delior, who was in charge, dictated the calls, and it got him this far. That's huge for one year. Can he do it again next year? What are the growths from next year? Can they get players and grow them up 
the same way that they grew up Fabiven, who is certainly a much better player than he was when he was on H2K and had to basically try to carry them out and struggled back and forth in the Challenger series for a bit. Are they going to be able to develop players like they developed Tooney, who went at the beginning of the year to be from being incredibly reckless to being reckless, but a guy who could take advantage of a lot of those moments, and someone that you didn't have to babysit all the time? Can they keep growing this kind of talent, and can the rest of the scene keep up with what they're doing? Because it's all well and good if you know Fanatics putting in all this effort, but you know are the Rockats of the world doing it? Are the elements of the world doing that? Are the Copenhagen, you know, all these organizations, right? Go down the list. Who are your scrim partners going to be week by week? Are they going to be putting in this effort? Are they going to be giving you the efficient time you need? Because the way that the schedule works, you can't go to Korea every week to boot camp. You just can't. Like, you've got, you've got a game this week. And you've got to find a way to make it work. And my fear is that we're seeing teams like TSM that are just throwing money at the problem without addressing what made it go wrong. We're seeing CLG already making roster changes without tryouts, without looking at what structures are going to be made, or even where the meta is going. How crazy is that? That they've already decided that who he is better than Pobelter for what they're going to be doing next year when we don't even know what season six is. That is an insane overreaction to make at this point. I'm not saying it won't be the right answer, but there's no way we know that because there's no way we know where the game is going because season six hasn't happened yet. It is befuddling to me that we keep running our heads into the same wall and then getting surprised when the Korean teams who are doing the things that they've been doing for years, going back to Brood War, who figured out all this stuff over literal decades at this point, are doing better than us at it. you got to learn at some point. And I don't know what's going to happen if the lesson that we learn is just throw money at it because eventually if you throw the right money at the right person, it's going to work. Bringing Loco Doco over was bringing over a Korean coach. That didn't pan out. There's more to it. It's bringing over the right kind of person with the right kind of mentality that the players are going to respect, that they're going to follow, that they're going to listen to, however that strategy goes. That hasn't happened in the West. We hear all the time about how personalities and egos get in the way. Mm -hmm. That's going to have to come to an end if they're going to get good. Agreed. 100% agreed. It's It's just a shame. And it, again, it's not a shame that for Koo Tigers or SKT, who are incredible teams, who've put on great performances and who I can't wait to watch next week. It's going to be an amazing series. But this was Fnatic's chance. You know, this was the chance that they had to show what can happen if you put in this infrastructure, if you put in a vision and make it work. And it was clear after game one that their head and their heart just wasn't in it. To, to be fair, to be fair, as much as I'm ripping Western organizations, and I'll I lump China into non-Korean organizations, yeah. we do have to say Europe got third and fourth. Europe had the third and fourth best teams at Worlds. Granted, their their series were not very close. They kind of remind me of like how Cloud9 and TSM got to the quarterfinals last year, mm-hmm. and then lost 3-1 to both the Samsung teams like that kind of you guys deserve to be very proud of your teams and you should be angry that you lost today because this was this was your best chance and the west best chance of making their first final since before the Koreans mattered in League of Legends we should be angry about that but we should also be celebrating the fact that you guys took home third and fourth place here that's nothing to sneeze at you should be very proud of what these guys were able to accomplish and look to next year as being 
the chance to now build upon this because you guys have done this before in season three where you got a couple of teams into the later stages of worlds i'm talking about gambit and fanatic mm -hmm. and then the next year you guys left it all in the group stages and you had the the epic kaboom debacle of of alliance that being said next year is your guys chance to show that this wasn't a fluke that you guys really have taken the next step and that you are really ready to challenge so I can't wait to see what these teams do next year. I am excited to watch the, the World Championship next weekend. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not as excited as I would have been if Fnatic had made it. I'll be very honest because we've seen Koo and, and SKT play multiple times. Mm -hmm. But I am curious to see. I'm ex I'll say not curious. I'm excited to watch the Marin Smeb matchup and see if this really determines who is the best top laner in the world and probably the second best player in the world. It's, it's going to be very interesting to see how that all breaks down. And, and for the record, yes, congratulations to Europe for getting third and fourth place. That's more than Taiwan can say. It's way more than North America can say. China has also got to be licking their wounds quite a bit. I feel a lot happier right now if I'm an Origin fan than a, than a Fnatic fan, just from the efforts that I saw and the way that these two teams handled being in these high-pressure situations. But at the same time, it, it is what it is at the end of the day. Fanatic can go back and learn lessons from it, and I hope that they learn from this and that they grow and they become the team that took SKT to five games at MSI. That's, that's the dream, right, is that we see this team become what we knew they could be, and it's just a matter on them to take the next step. Uh, speaking of taking the next step, I tried to in the Unicorn Challenge today. <laughs> if, if there's some bitterness in my voice about how it all broke down, uh, it's because, well, I bet really hard on Fnatic. I put 70 on Fnatic to win map one. I told you guys yesterday I thought that was crazy that a blue side was getting that nice odds. Turns out, maybe not so crazy. I put 50 on the head-to-head -head for Fnatic. I put 30 on over four and a half games. But I did hedge a little bit because my whole idea, I picked the 3-2 for Fnatic. So I thought it was safe to take the coup plus one and a half to have something. And I put 30 on that, and I won 47-10. So I at least don't go home incredibly empty-handed, just mostly so. How, how, how much did you end up losing? Uh, a lot is the answer to that. I mean, I was at 739 after yesterday. Mm -hmm. I'm at 606 now, so 133. But you didn't Jeez. have a great day either. For the oh, I, I lost every one of my bets, but... I only lost 80 unicorns. <laughs> yeah, well, someone, again, isn't it nice to be you? We learned yesterday. I, I, I bet 20 on the Fnatic head-to-head, -head, obviously losing that. I put 20 on the map one winner uh, for Fnatic, lost that one. I actually put 20 on the over four and a half maps, so five-game series, because I thought that was likely. And I put 20 on the Fnatic minus one and a half, because I thought it was going to... I was hedging my bet there a little. I thought it could be a 4-1, but I thought... It could also go to five games, and uh, yeah, it looks like I was absolutely wrong either way. Yeah, so. my, my favorite part is that you bet in a way where you couldn't win both, which yeah. I really appreciated. But uh, I feel like it might have been a mistake, but <laughs> I'm not, I, I'll say I meant to do it on purpose. Well, you were trying to hedge, and unfortunately the hedge, very rarely does the hedge fail on both sides, but it, it, <laughs> it happens every once in a while. The good news for you, Walter, is that me I going... I expand my lead! Yes, you do. <laughs> Your lead has increased by 52.9. Welcome to the Unicorn Challenge, where both Walter and I lose all our bets, but he still wins. 
That's just kind of <laughs> how this whole thing has gone. Uh, your lead right now is 198.88 Unicoins. <laughs> so the good news for me, and the only good news there is, is that I can go all in next week. And if my bets turn out, there's still a chance. Not much of a chance. And I, I'm assuming that between now and next week, you're going to be playing with all the odds and figure out the minimums you'd have to bet to make sure that you can kind of prices right me uh, when this comes at the end of the day. But Or I just gamble it all on SKT and, and go full bore. I mean, that's probably going to work out fine. I'm very curious to see where that line ends up, but we're going to have to save that for the preview podcast. I think we're, we're done for now. Walter, is there anything you'd like to say on your way out? I am very disappointed in the West. I thought this was our year that we could have accomplished something great, but our Korean overlords have proven that resistance is futile so congratulations to ku and to skt we will see you guys on halloween live from berlin i I can't wait to watch it's gonna be wonderful by the way when i asked you if there was anything you'd like to say i was hoping you were gonna say something along the lines of you could subscribe to us on itunes you go to the esports gambling hour on itunes you can listen to our podcast and, and put it on your ipod and listen to it wherever you go you can put it in your earphones and listen to it while you're playing a game of league of legends do whatever you'd like. Uh, it's awesome when you guys get to follow. It means a lot to us. If you guys write reviews, it also means a lot to us. Uh, that's kind of how iTunes does all their algorithms, so that's great. You can also find the podcast if you need them right, right away. You don't want to wait for the you know half an hour to an hour or so when iTunes picks it up. You can go to soundcloud.com slash hour. You can also go to unicorn.com slash community where I do all these write-ups about the games and everything. You can imagine today's write-up is going to be a lot of fun. I am looking forward to writing it. I have a (laughs) lot of words that I'm looking forward to. So that's going to be fun. You don't want to miss that. And, of course, you can follow us on social media. I am at RedShirtKing on Twitter. And, Walter, where can they find you? I was not hosting today, so it's not my responsibility to do that stuff. But you can find me at C80s underscore LOL. Just passing the buck, huh? That's that's what we're going with. That's. I mean, that's that's kind of your job, right? <laughs> you're you're the one who's hosting everything, and you know, you're asking me the questions, you're directing the conversation, and then at the end, you're supposed to be the one who says, "All right, everyone, go follow and subscribe and download and do all these things," and I get to sit back and finish my cigar. I'm very good at loudly exclaiming that people should do things. That's, uh, I guess that is more my skill set. So until, I guess next Sunday is when we're going to have, uh, or next Saturday, I should say, is when we're going to put up the SKT versus Koo podcast. Again, 5 p.m. PST, just like it's always been. But there's another podcast coming this week. If you listen on Tuesday at 5 p.m. PST, get excited. We're going to be previewing Heroes of the Storm BlizzCon. We're doing it. We're covering other games. This is something uh, you guys have been asking about. We're ever going to do things for other other lines. And it's going to be a lot of fun. I just made the longest Word document I've ever made as far as prepping for any podcast so that I cover literally all of the things. So we're going to break all that stuff down, get you excited for Wednesday's group stage games. And until Tuesday, goodbye, Internet.